Hey, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you. Nine o'clockers, if you're out there, we invite you, come on in. I would like to orient you to what's going to happen here today. This Sunday is going to be a little bit different than our normal fair. Instead of our standard um, worship as you've come to know it and, and, and elements like that, I'd like you to think about today as a seminar Sunday. What we have is, is, is a series of talks, mini talks, if you will, lined up talking about um, recent events. June 26th, Supreme Court made a ruling um, that has effectively legalized gay marriage in all 50 states. And since then, the questions have come to me from a number of you, and I'm sure that only represents the tip of the iceberg of questions that you might have as well. Questions like, what does this mean for a church like Fellowship of Faith that has taught homosexuality is a sin and same-sex attraction is a temptation? Uh, what does it mean for me personally, you might be asking? Um, as I just share the love of Jesus with people who hold a different view than I do, whatever side of the spectrum that might be, uh, people who do experience same-sex attraction, Maybe what does it mean for you? Maybe you're here today and you're gay. Maybe you're here today and you experience same-sex attraction. And, and what we want to do today is just have a series of just very candid conversations on this, this big topic. Now, I'd, I'd like to show you something here today. This, this is something that's embedded deeply within our core values at, at Fellowship of Faith and, and something that we hope marks us as a church. Take a moment and read this this morning. It's because we believe that dearly that we're doing this. So let me tell you how today is going to play out. It's going to begin with me just talking to you for a few moments about the political side of things. How do churches and Christians and what might Jesus call us as Christians to do in response to political decisions that might be made that might go contrary to God's way in his word? And then we're going to have a time for a seventh inning stretch. We're going to stand up, we're going to worship some, you know, kind of uh, get it going there. And then uh, I, I think the highlight today is, is we got this, this great man who's been serving on our worship team for about a year. His name is Dave. And uh, he is gay. And he's a Christian. And he's going to share firsthand what his struggle has been like as a follower of Christ who experiences same-sex attraction. And in the process, what he's going to do is, is, I think, share some really cool insights into what it means for us as a church to minister to you who might be here suffering silently because you're afraid it might come out and what will people think? Or what will it mean as we, uh, we share the love and, and the hope of Jesus with friends and neighbors who are in same-sex relationships? What will it mean as, as we minister to our community, who has many people that experience this as well, um, who Jesus loves dearly? And uh, time permitting, I, uh, I hope you brought one of these today, because what we actually hope to do at the end, if the clock isn't just like raging against us, is even open it up for some live texting where you can anonymously ask Dave or myself questions that you might have, and we will do our best to answer them on the spot. Make sense? Big, emotionally charged topic, right? And I think the danger for each of us with a topic like this 
is that our emotions sometimes deafen our ears to be able to hear a different perspective or what someone else might have to say in the conversation. And how easy is it, right, for us to kind of latch onto a soundbite and not listen to the entire panoply of what's being said. In my 12 years at FOF, I have seen a church that has been incredible about being able to do that, but I encourage you to do that actively here today. Don't just listen for your soundbite, whether to bolster your position or to demonize those who you want to demonize. Instead, try to hold everything in tension here today, and maybe, just maybe, if we do this together, God has something incredible to share and show us this morning as we, uh, we continue to do this journey called life. Cool? Cool. So guys, let's, uh, let's jump in. And what I'd like to begin with today is by talking about Christians and politics, and specifically some of the questions related to, to what does it mean for a church like FOF, or what does it mean for us as individual believers when we find ourselves in, in a culture where homosexuality has become mainstream and accepted? What does it mean when the, the Supreme Court of our land has made a ruling in favor of gay marriage for, for a church or maybe individuals like us who believe in a traditional um, version of marriage between a man and a woman? That's what I'm going to hit right now. And there's a word I need to teach you. It is a Greek word, and here it is. Martyr. That's how you pronounce it. It is where we actually get our English word martyr from, okay? Martyr does not mean what you think it means. Martyr means, in Greek, to bear witness, to give witness, to bear witness. I love what Peter, one of those early disciples of Jesus, had to say. And he said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And then everyone stops there, but I love the second sentence just as much. But do so with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who maliciously slander you in the end will feel ashamed for their evil behavior. As Christians, regardless of the time, the culture, or the political landscape that we live in, are simply called to bear witness. To bear witness with gentleness and respect, no matter what someone else might be saying, no matter how they might be speaking, no matter how they might accuse us, demonize us, attack us, or judge us unfairly, to bear witness with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that at the end of the day, we're not ashamed of our behavior. That that can never be pushed or be laid to blame on us. Because see, Jesus' teachings are never hitched to societal trends, to political decisions, or guys, to even what's legal. Jesus says this. He says, come, follow me. Regardless of of legal implications and ramifications, come, follow me. He says, regardless of what's popular, 
come follow me. Regardless of what you're facing yourself, who you are, what your past is, what your present is, come follow me. And he calls us to do it even if it costs us. Just, just look at a few of these things that he says. Those of you who know the Bible, you might remember this one. Those of you who don't, just come to terms with that for a minute. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now let's just kind of remove theology for a moment, okay? What's a cross? Well, it's a mechanism of legal punishment by a first century government. Period. What does Jesus say? Decoded. If you're not even willing to pay the cost and bear the price and to face the penalty of legal decisions against you, you can't be my disciple. He says this, whoever wants to save his life will use it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Or maybe a lot more apropos to, to what I think is more common today. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If the head of the house has been called, fill in the gap. Devil, demon, bigot, medieval. How much more the members of his household. See, the irony, guys, is that the influence and impact of Christianity and the number of adherents who claim to be Christian in places like North America and Europe has been on the decline despite all kinds of legal benefits and protection. And the church is exploding in incredible, what could only be called just like awakening kind of ways in places like China and Pakistan in India and Africa where persecution is prevalent. I think we in the United States have had it so good for so long that we've forgotten that the way of Jesus is a way of a cross and that it will cost us. It might cost us reputation good standing, business. It might cost us legally. It might cost us physically. It may even cost our lives. I think we've had it so good for so long that in many ways we've reduced Christianity to a, a, a mechanism of, of prosperity or therapy or self-help or even entertainment at times. Kool-Aid. Christianity. But when Jesus says, come follow me, he means it, just come follow me, whatever the cost. Because following Jesus might just cost you. And it's a cost that he invites us to bear. Now, I want to unpack that just a little bit. So how did the early church bear witness. How did they bear witness? How did they put themselves as, in their language, martyrs, if you will? See, for years in the United States, this has been done through the church thinking that they needed to become a moral majority. 
But the prevalent trend of history has been far more to be a prophetic minority. And the way that the early church has always practiced martyria, if you will, has been by two things, suffering and compassion. Now, you know, when the early church came face to face with, like, abortion, they didn't go and picket Rome. What they did is they went out to the garbage dumps and they found the babies who had been left to die. And despite being flat broken, unable to have the means to support them, brought them into their own homes and raised them as their own. Because the early church was completely rooted in this thing called suffering and compassion. You know, I think of when the plagues, the stories of the plagues, would hit the ancient cities of the Roman Empire. And people's own families would flee and leave them abandoned to die. The medical industry, the doctors and physicians of the Roman Empire would flee the city and leave, leave the plague-infested people behind to die. It was the Christians who chose to stay with them. Many contracting the disease themselves, many dying in the process to minister to these people in their final days even at the cost of health and life. And the Roman Empire started to notice. When, when the empire commanded Christians to burn some incense to Caesar and declare him as Lord, rather than violate their loyalty to Christ, they walked to the Colosseum with dignity, willing to give their life because they understood firsthand what it means when Jesus says anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be his disciples and in the process what they would do is they would go to the they would go and minister to the outbrat the outcast the forgotten the broken the beaten to homosexuals to prostitutes to pagans and they would say, there's a God who loves you and a God who wants to be one with you and we want to be one with you too. Biblical language, not mine. Funny how much it sounds like marriage language. But on other lines than sexuality. And when everyone else would reject them or condemn them, they would reach out and they would say, you can be a part of our community because the way of Jesus has always been about suffering and compassion. You know, there, there is no bigger uh, cultural sacrilege that you can commit today. No, no bigger point of political blasphemy than to say that you believe homosexuality is a sin, and same-sex attraction is a temptation. The question of Jesus is, who do you follow? Where is your loyalty? And will you be someone of integrity 
who stands by Jesus even if those beliefs are contrary to the prevailing trends of today, even if it costs you. There's a, a quote by the late Cardinal George, you know, uh, Cardinal of Chicago, deceased archbishop. He wrote this about a month before he died. I expect to die in my bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. His successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. I hope he's wrong. But even if he's not, it's secondary. Because Jesus says, come follow me. In suffering with compassion, with gentleness, in kindness, even if that makes you a minority. So talk one's done. I, I, want, to, uh, I want to invite you to rise today. Uh, the band's going to come forward, and there's a song that we're going to sing. It has this amazing line in it that I think echoes the words that Paul said while he was in prison, and you can find them in the words of Philippians. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And there's this line in the song that we're going to sing, oh, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross bids me come and die that I might truly live. You know, wherever you're at on the spectrum today, whether you're here and you call yourself gay or straight, whether you experience heterosexual attraction or homosexual attraction, the invitation is the same for all of us. See, with God, there's no distinction. We're all sinners. We all come with baggage. And he comes to each of us and simply says, hey, I love you. Come, follow me. Let's sing. Guys, you can have a seat. And, uh, Where we're going to shift next is we're going to move into uh, just an amazing, I think, time to meet with a, with a brother of ours here at FOF. And uh, I want to introduce him to you right now. This is Dave Jesmer. He's been with us for about a year. And uh, just wrap your mind around this for a minute. Okay, you know how most people fear public speaking worse than death? <laughs> now imagine combining public speaking with revealing the most intimate, vulnerable, deepest, darkest secrets of your soul in a gathering like this. Can I just say, oh my gosh, does this take inner fortitude or what? Can we give this guy a hand who's putting himself on the line here? Dave, thank you uh, so much for... Uh, 
doing what you're doing here today and, and sharing with us. And um, Dave and I have had a chance to talk through some things um, ahead of time, and um, I'm going to let him this uh, let him uh, do most of the talking here and lead this more than me. It was funny as Dave and I were talking, it kind of like came out not intentional, but that the uh, the name of this entire series we're doing is called Straight Talk. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I think you're going to see some of Dave's sense of humor here today um, coming out. And, uh, you know, Dave, as, as we jump into this, um, again, thank you for what we're doing. I, I think you've come to see over the past year, you've got a community here that, that, that loves you, that supports you, and that we're looking to do this, this journey with you, and, and we're so glad that you've uh, you found us as your home as well. Um, would you briefly share with people today just, um, just some of your story and your faith journey? Um, yeah, so... Um, my name is uh, Dave, and uh, a lot of people call me Jez. By the way, I'm nervous, <laughs> as you can imagine. So I feel like I'm out on a run. My heart's beating that fast. So, um, so I grew up in the area down in Evanston, and um, I would say by the time I was 10 or 11, I already kind of had a sense that something was different. Um, most of my attention, um, as far as like looking at people, was towards other guys. Um, when I got into my teenage years, it pretty much became really clear to me that that's where my uh, orientation lay. Um, and this was back in the 1980s. This wasn't something that was uh, generally accepted yet. It was moving in that direction. Um, but it's something I definitely kept to myself. And I knew I didn't want this to be. I was hoping it was a phase. I was uh, definitely thinking maybe uh, as I get older, older it will change. Um, I grew up in a Jewish family, uh, not super religious, but enough that I went to a Jewish uh, private school uh, from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade, so I uh, did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, um, I became a Christian uh, through a friend, largely through a friend named George, and uh, this was a real shock uh, to me <laughs> on one level. Um, I went from basically in one week from not believing anything to giving my life to Christ. And uh, it was a big shock to my family. My entire family is Jewish. And um, thankfully, I didn't have the kind of family that was going to reject me and, and shun me, but it was difficult for them. Uh, and one of the things I definitely hoped was that God um, would bring healing to me in the area of my sexuality. I was hoping that um, as I got closer to him, that he would bring healing and that he would bring a change uh, in, in my orientation. Um, when I got done with high school, uh, things really hadn't changed. I went off to college, um, to Northwestern, and uh, at this point, I mean, living on a college campus, the temptations are huge because you're on your own and you're living in a dorm and a lot of people are, you're away from your parents' eyes and uh, I decided I had to tell somebody I'd never told anybody. so. I talked to my friend George. Um, it was really, really hard. Really afraid of what he would say, what he would think. And uh, he hit a home run. He gave me a big hug and uh, did not make me feel any shame at all. Told me he still loved me and didn't treat me any differently. And over the course of the next couple years, um, you know, I told various people at church. I told some of the pastors. I received a lot of prayer. Uh, did some counseling, hoping that that might uh, make a difference. Um, even I tried dating uh, women, but the bottom line was 
nothing changed as far as my uh, sexual orientation. I, um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't ever give up hope that it would ha happen. I kept on always thinking maybe in five years I'll be married, and I'll be, uh, I'll be. Have a family. It's something I always wanted, even if, if a teenager. I always wanted to to have kids and. Um, but for whatever reason, God, uh, God never did change me, and it kind of became clear to me that the, the path of obedience to Jesus, as hard as it is, is going to be celibacy, um, unless he decides to change me. So that's kind of the, my background. All right. And, uh, you know, Dave, I, I do think it's important maybe uh, to just state this now. This is your first time really coming out, if you will, in any kind of public way, other than an individual family or, or group of friends, correct? Yeah, it is. Um, just so it's understood what, what this is about and why you're doing this here today, um, can you share your motivation in that um, with people here? Yeah, so um, like Dave mentioned, I mean, I have told probably about, I don't know, 40 to 50 people over the course of my life um, about this issue in my life, and so it's not like it's, this is my first time sharing it, but um, with everything that's been going on um, in our culture, I think that, and, and within the church, I guess I, I, I wrote down three things um, that I really want to get across today. And, and probably the most important is I want to encourage people who are struggling with this um, that, to open up with people. Um, the church is a really, really, really hard place to do that. Um, basically, a lot of people, including myself when I was younger, kept this to myself. Um, felt like there was like an, an added element of shame that this sin was somehow unique. Um, and I'll, I'll probably talk about that a little bit more later, but that's my biggest motivation is that people who are silently suffering with this wouldn't feel like, boy, I gotta leave the church and just give in to this because I'm not finding acceptance in church. Um, so that's, that's one. Second, and this is something I've seen a lot of, um, I want to encourage people not, not to give in to the culture um, I know a lot of my fellow belie believers who are also um, struggling with, with homosexual attractions who have decided basically to give in and have found churches that have said, yeah, this is okay, um, and have basically uh, ignored God's word or twisted it, um, and, and I think probably with good intentions, but the results are leading a lot of people like me to not feel like the church is behind them in their struggle. That it's almost as bad as telling people you're, you're a sinner beyond what we can deal with here is to tell them this isn't a sin because both, both ways keeps them from following Jesus. And um, I guess the last thing is to encourage people uh, to really stretch yourselves in loving gay people. Um, that just happens to be their area of struggle. They're a lot more than just a gay person. They're everything, when you think of your worst sin or your worst area or your biggest weakness, you definitely don't want to be boiled down to that's who you are. Um, and I guess that's the thing. I, I really want to encourage people here who are straight, which is obviously the big majority, is to not uh, to not come across as judgmental and angry towards gay people, because I think the church does that a lot. Um, 
So those are my main, my main reasons for wanting to do this. You, you know, you, you said already just a moment ago that um, you committed yourself to a path of celibacy. And, and I heard you several times allude to the fact that, that you do see homosexuality or homosexual sex as a sin. Um, I think that's surprising uh, to hear for a lot of people from someone who considers themselves gay. Jump you that for us a little bit? Um, yeah, um, I guess the first thing I want to do is clarify what I mean, like when I say, when a lot of people I've talked to have said, gay Christian, that's an oxymoron, you can't be a, a gay Christian. And I think it depends on, on how you use the language. And so there's a few things that being gay or being a homosexual could mean. One is that you actually carry out sexual activity in that arena, and that's definitely a sin. Um, you have to twist, you have to twist scripture, you have to twist yourself into a pretzel to make scripture say that. And I know a lot of people have. I've read books about it, and this one was always very easy for me. I mean, I thank God for that, that when I was coming of age in the 80s, this wasn't something that was going on yet, where, the, where there were large groups of, of Christians trying to justify this. Um, another Another way you can use gay is to mean uh, your identity. Like, I see myself as a gay person, even if I don't act out on it. And I don't even see myself in that way. I don't see it as my identity any more than a Christian should see themselves as an alcoholic or a person filled with rage. Um, there's even a verse uh, in 1 Corinthians that said, this is what some of you were. Um, but when I use the term for myself, I basically mean it, this is my temptation. This is, this is where my... Uh, sexual desires lie. This is where the attraction lies. I don't want it to. I wish it wasn't thought that way. It's not something I chose. I think that's a misconception some people have, is that uh, gay people have chosen this orientation, which I think most people realize is kind of silly. I mean, who would choose, who would choose that? Um, and that, the question I always throw back at people is, when did you choose to be straight? Do you remember the time you, you chose to be straight? And of course, of course, that doesn't exist. Um, so as far as um, knowing that it's sinful, um, I, I think that, again, this one, this one was easy for me. Growing up Jewish and reading the Old Testament, it's pretty clear in the Old Testament that God intends for sex to be between a man and a woman. It's pretty clear in the New Testament. Um, there's, there's no ambiguity about it. and. Uh, I think what it comes down to is what, what is God in your life and what's an idol? And I think a lot of people have made uh, homosexuality an idol, that this is who I am, this is the center of who I am, and everything else has to revolve around it, including my take on scripture and where I go to church and who's going to accept me and what I say and what I do rather than Jesus is at the center and I have to orient my life around that. And um, I mean, I struggle a lot. It's not easy to be celibate, as you can imagine. Um, I don't have to say much to the, to the men here about how powerful the sex drive is. And for a Christian, and not just for a gay Christian, but also for somebody who maybe is just single, hasn't found somebody to be with, uh, somebody who's physically or emotionally or mentally incapable of uh, forming that kind of relationship. 
Uh, celibacy is a hard road, um, but it's the one Jesus calls us to. If, if, if you're not... Yeah, I think about that comment you made, too, about how, how people have made maybe homosexuality an idol. I, I would personally extend it and say people have made sexuality an idol. Uh, I, I see this happen a lot in conversations with, with Catholic priests who m might have same-sex attraction, who might have heterosexual attraction, but who have all committed to celibacy, or well, most of them have committed to celibacy. Um, that was a joke. It, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but how hard it is, and, and, and let's face it, I mean, our, our, our sex drive is, is, is so deeply embedded within us, but, but how some people can't imagine themselves without sex, without sexuality in its fullest expression in some kind of way. Um, yeah, I, I think of the path of, of commitment you've gone in. I mean, let's face it, it would be easy to give another temptation. You said it yourself. Uh, many of the, the heterosexual people here today have given into sexual sin time and time again. Uh, you, you've chosen even a higher path than them, so to, so to speak. Um, I, I was wondering if, well, well, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, if, if we can go into this, um, what is your biggest struggle as someone who is gay, or if it's not fair to use that kind of self-identity, someone who is a Christian that experiences same-sex attraction? What would you say the biggest struggle is? Um, I mean... Uh Definitely the biggest struggle is just denying, denying the flesh, being celibate. Um, but probably deeper than that, and this is something I've talked a lot about with my friends, is just the sense that it's permanent. Um, for a single person, you can struggle, you might have a girlfriend, uh, you may or may not marry, and you know that you're, you're, you're supposed to hold yourself um, pure until you get married. It may be to that person, it may not be. But for someone in my position, unless God decides to change my orientation, uh, it's, this is a permanent thing. And um, there's a lot of fear that goes with that, of being alone. Um, there's a lot of loneliness. And uh, that's definitely the biggest struggle. Is uh, It's a very... And, and it's just a very difficult arena in life not to sin, um, especially in our culture now. And like Dave said, everything that you see in society is so focused on how sex isn't something that can be denied. It mu you must, this must happen. And you have to be true to yourself and true to who you are attracted to. And that message is hammered and hammered and hammered and hammered home. And very, very, very difficult, especially when you begin to even hear it from the church. Um, and that's, a, again, I know it. there's a fear among some Christians of being called uh, bigots or judgmental if you call homosexuality a sin, but here I am, I'm a Christian, and this is my struggle, and I'm calling it a sin. And I know I'm not bigoted against gay people. <laughs> so, it's... It, <laughs> There are people who will say I am. They'll say you're self-hating, that you're, uh, and, and of course, then, you know, they're drawing their own conclusions. And I think, I think as, as believers, one of the best ways that you can support people like me um, 
in dealing with what's most difficult, which is staying celibate, is to, is to love gay people, but to not budge on what God's will is. Um, that's, that's probably, probably the, the most important thing, biggest area of struggle for most gay Christians especially, is being celibate. You know, the, the way of Jesus, if you're unfamiliar with the New Testament, just read the story of Jesus sometime found in the Gospels. What you're going to find is that, that it's filled with Jesus had compassion out the nth degree for people who were marginalized, outcast, suffering. His entire way is marked by compassion, love for neighbor, and I don't see anywhere in the New Testament that excluding um, homosexuals or people with same-sex attraction. So, can you speak into this for us? How is the church dropping the ball on this today, and uh, what can we do here at FOF? Um, yeah, this is probably where I have to be really careful about how I come across. Don't be careful, just be blunt. <laughs> <laughs> for, my, for my own sake, I need to be careful. Fair enough. Um, and, and what I say here isn't specifically to, to this church, because I haven't sensed I haven't sensed what I'm about to say, but I think a lot of the church, big C church, comes across as very angry at gay people. Um, very, very angry. Um, that the politics of it supersedes how you, how the church sees gay people. Um, basically, what Dave said is true. Jesus is compassionate and loving and merciful towards all sinners. Gay people are not any different than any other kind of sinner. Um, and I think it's really, really important that people not judge people who sin differently than they do. And that's huge. Um, and it's a temptation for all of us, even for myself. There are people who sin differently than I do. And maybe, maybe their sin is being judgmental. And I, that's my big struggle, is, is not getting angry at, at people like that. Um, there's a, a Christian who's in my position who uh, has been trying to lead a celibate life, and he does blogging and does writing on it, and um, he's written some articles online, and some of the comments I've seen from Christians towards what he's written and towards other gay people I guess they just blow me away that these are Christians. Um, the, the amount of venom and hatred that comes out towards gay people from people who call themselves followers of Christ. And I think it's important to remember gay people are made in God's image just as much as everybody else. Um, and this is, it's not something that's going to draw unbelievers to Christ and make them feel like their sin is unique in some way. Um, I know that when, when straight people fall into sexual sin, uh, usually the restoration is pretty quick. Um, they confess, everybody says, we forgive you, and they're right back into, into ministry, which is probably appropriate as long as they're being accountable. And there are, but there are a lot of people who are um, attracted to people of the same sex, and they are, they're not even acting out on it. Just They have just that, that orientation 
and they are oftentimes excluded from ministry just for having the orientation. Um, not allowed to serve on a worship team or in teaching ministry. And again, this is, this is kind of treating um, gay believers, and again, using gay in the sense of where the temptation is, where the orientation is, kind of treating them as second-class citizens. Um, I, I know in our conversation earlier, you, you made a distinction between two ways the church at large tends to act today. The first is some, in an effort to show compassion, end up condoning the sin, which you said isn't helpful. And I don't think we need to go over that ground. But, but one aspect I'd like to, to play out is you said what you see that happens in other churches that, that do try to show compassion but still take a, a biblical stand on, on sexuality. There's almost this sense to, to gay Christians of, oh, you're gay, we love you, good luck with that. Um, make yourself at home and then and it's just kind of left. Um, can you give us maybe one or two tangibles about how to not fall into that trap, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, you know, like Dave said, there, that, that is sort of the message in a lot of churches is, uh, you know, homosexuality is a sin, you need to be celibate, have a good one, and, and how? <laughs> how do you live life like that? And I think the church needs to be, and again, the church Dixie, but also individual churches, and when it comes down to it, individual Christians need to be proactive in ministering to single people in general and, and gay people specifically. Um, I'd say the biggest thing for me is, is having family. I mean, of course, when you're young, you have a family because you're young and you have your parents and you have your older, elder aunts or uncles. I'm in a position now where I would normally have a wife and kids at this point. That would be my family. But I'm, I'm unable to do that. Thank God, I have people who know my whole story and I'm basically a member of their family. Um, my friend George, who I mentioned earlier, who led me to Christ, first person I told about this struggle. Um, I'm Uncle Dave to his kids. I'm just a member of their family. I can go there whenever I want. It's just a given that I'm invited to Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. Um, have to put them on the spot too much, but the, ch but the Chaffees are the same way. Um, I can walk, well, all of you can walk right into their house because <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't lock the door, but. <laughs> um, they do now. <laughs> <laughs> they won't be able to get in either. I don't think they have a key. <laughs> um, but, but that's a good, it's actually a, a very figuratively appropriate for what they are like as a family. Their door is open um, to people I've, uh, who struggle. I've known a lot of people who have, that they have found a refuge there. And again, um, I'm, I'm just there. I mean, that's what they call me. And I can stay over there all I want and um, even bring my dog. I'm a member of that family, and I have a couple other families that are like that. And I think that's really important for people to realize that this isn't just a struggle against not doing a certain act, which is what a lot of, I think what a lot of churches kind of come across as that homose you know, homosexuals, people who struggle with same-sex attraction are basically an act that needs to be prevented rather than 
people who have all the same needs for family and community and feeling like belonging, um, even having fa uh, family responsibilities, um, not just being ministered to, ministering to a family. That's a, that's a huge one. And then I think the other thing is, um, and this is gigantic um, for those, and, and I don't know if this is really addressing exactly what you said, but um, I know there are other people here right now that probably are gay. Um, and you haven't told anybody. Um, and all I can say is, you have to. Um, you don't have to get up in front of the church and do it. <laughs> um, but, and that, that's actually my biggest motivation in doing this, is that having, having a pastor tell you to tell somebody is fine, but here I am, and this is my struggle, and there are people that love me, and there are people that accept me. I'm sure there are people that judge me, and I, I really don't care. I see that more as their issue. Um, but you got to tell people, I know it's hard. You, you're worried that people's impression of you will change the whole way they look at you will change. Um, I know that some of you probably have people in your life who are dealing with this, and they're afraid to tell you. And even though you might, you might not even know, you can make it clear that there's nothing that they could tell you that would make you love them any less and make you accept them any less. Um, but that's the other thing the church has to be is a safe place. If, if people feel more accepted outside the church being gay, then they're going to be gay outside the church. And unfortunately, I think that's where we are right now, is a lot of people who struggle with homosexuality feel loved and accepted in the world, in our culture. So that's where they go. And if they felt like they were loved and accepted in church, that's where they would go. And I think that's probably the most important thing I can, I can say. You know, I, I, again, I want to thank you so much for just kind of putting it out there for us here today. You know, I, I did want to give this a couple of minutes. I'm going to invite you to take your phones out if you want, and I'm going to flash a number up on the screen. If uh, you have a question, you'd like to text it in, you know how your phone works. Go for it. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll give this a couple of minutes if that's okay, and um, see what we can do on the spot. It takes a few. Go, yeah, yeah, you. Uh, one, one more thing I'll add while people are, if, if anybody is texting anything in, is um, the other reason why, if you're struggling with this, you got to tell people is because of, it, it, it is impossible to be sexually pure by yourself. It's impossible. Um, even with accountability and even with people who know what your struggle is, it's hard. And the thing I found that is above everything else, though, that helps me in this area to not, to not fall into sin, not give into temptation, 
is just flat out being, being intimate with Jesus. There's no substitute for that. Um, and when I feel at my lowest is also when I feel closest to him. And that is far and away. Trying real hard not to sin makes me sin more. Running to Jesus makes me sin less. It's, you can't live pursuing a, a negative. Don't do this. That's, that's the law. And the law, the law is death, whether you're gay or straight. A couple of questions came in. Um, this one, I think, is geared towards uh, you. How does your family feel about this? Do they accept you or even know? Um, very few people in my family know, unless they're here right now. Um, <laughs> I have a sister who is also gay. Um, she's a couple years older than me, and she knows. Um, most of my family is, is pretty, uh, my parents are divorced. My dad's side is, is very religious, Orthodox Jew, Jewish. Um, uh, live in Israel, actually. Um, so they're much more on the conservative side of things. and. The whole rest of my family is very, very liberal. So to them, this wouldn't be an issue so much. Um, for me, the bigger issue is they would, they would find it hard to understand why I'm being celibate. They would say, why don't you just you know, act on it and, be, and still be a Christian? And part of me doesn't want to go through the whole conversation of explaining to them because I'm, I'm afraid of coming across judgmental against gay people to my family, which I know sounds ironic, but especially with a, with a sister in that position who I love and who I support. And I mean, she knows where I stand and she knows I love her and she knows I don't judge her. And I don't, I mean, she's not a believer, so I don't see this as any different than anything else in, her, in anybody's life, it, it, the issue is whether you're going to come to Jesus or not. And then he, it's, it's up to him to change people. But, so my family is not really aware too much yet. Here, here's one I think that strikes a lot of people, if you could speak into this, Dave. Um, by the way, earlier he said he goes by Jez. His last name is Jesmer. Makes sense? All right. Just didn't, yeah. How should we be with friends and family that have gotten married or are living with a same-sex partner? Wow. Um, so, of course, this is, this is just my opinion, but for sure, if they're not Christians, um, and I don't know, this might be controversial, but I would, I would just be part of their lives. Um, my sister had a, a commitment ceremony a few years ago, and I went to it. Um, I felt it was more important to show her that I love her than to send a message of what I think is moral or not moral. To me, it would be, I guess, no different than going to a bar with somebody and maybe they're an alcoholic and not that I would be buying them drinks, but I wouldn't avoid them and avoid them in the setting where they, where, where they tend to sin because we, we need to reach out to people. So I would say that if you know gay people in your family, in your life, friends, uh, neighbors, be part of their life, invite them over, um, invite their partners over, love their families. 
Uh, it's obviously more complicated if they're believers and they've bought into the whole God blesses this. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I definitely have friends. I have one friend uh, who just left his wife and has three kids and is now going to is now pursuing same sex relationships. I have another friend who struggled for a long time, uh, similar position to me, never married and is now with a partner and I guess I still, I still love them and I still, uh, I still believe they're Christians. I, I know that's controversial too. Um, but I would say definitely with, with non-believers, you just have to love them. They're not gonna come to Christ if you shun them or separate yourself from them or make them no longer part of your life. Okay. The, um This has exploded in like all the right ways here. And uh, the clock is glaring at us right there as well. And uh, I, I do want to get a couple of more on the grid. Um, we're not going to be able to get to them all. But um, uh, just a couple of that came in while you were talking. Wow, this is the stuff I needed to hear today. Thank you. Um, likewise, and I lost it in the text stream because it was like, 50 of them now, but, 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 but several thank yous uh, to people here just to kind of put yourself on the line, and I wanted to express that um, to you before uh, moving on. Um, one final question I want to pose to you. There is a difference between doing something wrong and feeling like something is wrong with me, okay? You talked a little bit about self-hate. Can you tell how you dealt with that, especially dealing with sexuality in the 80s, and there's some related questions here as well from people um, along lines like this, where they said, it doesn't sound like you're okay with your sexuality. What if I am? What would you say to me? Things of this arena. Could you speak into some of those today? Well, the second one to me is a little easier. Um, I actually have gotten to the point where I am comfortable uh, with my sexuality. Um, not comfortable, comfortable in the sense that I know that uh, this side of heaven, I'm broken. Uh, everybody is. I think a lot of people are better at hiding it than others. And um, I guess I would say that if you're a believer and you're comfortable in the sense of acting on it, um, get the Bible out, I guess. Um, I found and I guess I'll be, I'll be honest here, I've, I haven't been perfect in my life in this area. I've, I've fallen a couple times, and it was utterly clear to me when those times happened, this was not what I wanted. This wasn't what satisfied me. This wasn't what my soul was longing for. And uh, I think the key is to, I, I never went through self-hatred. To me, it was always just, how in the world do I not sin and stay close to God through this? And, um, and of course, most of my sin is in my thought life, and it's a struggle every day, but um, I guess the thing you need to realize is Jesus is, is head over heels in love with you. He's head over heels in love with all sinners, and he loves you too much to let you just follow a path into darkness, but if you follow that path, he'll, he'll be there when you turn to him. Um, I don't know if that 
No, I, yeah, I think, I think it's, answered it, but yeah, that's great. I would love to spend another hour going through these. If you've texted in today and we just didn't get to it, we're doing this again at 1030. Um, but more than that, I'd encourage you, talk to me directly, talk to Jason, another one of our pastors on staff here directly. Dave said he'd be available to answer questions at the Welcome Center afterwards. He put together a little, um, I would say resource packet, but it makes it sound too like clinical. He just, uh, some reflections on, on paper, some thoughts about what it, what it might mean for you personally or for the church today that you can pick up on the way out. Um, we, and, and of course, if you ever want to email questions um, directly to me as well that we haven't been able to hit live here today, um, I encourage you to do that to Dave as well. And um, I just want to invite you to thank this guy for getting up here and doing this one more time. Thank you. Thanks. All right, he's going to the keys because he's playing while we do communion today. Band is coming up, and we are going to come, and before we leave, just share this meal. I love the, 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 the essence of what communion means, community, together, oneness. Dave said it so many times. Oh, my gosh, all of us here are sinners. Um, all of us. God loves us all. And if you're a sinner here today, God invites you to this meal and to his way. And we do as well. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. He took a cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, and said, drink of this, because this is my blood, and I shed my blood for you, for the forgiveness of all of your sins, no matter what they might be. So come and do this. Remember who I really am. Remember what I've done for you. Come and follow me. Welcome to the table of the Lord.